Welcome to the Legal Download Podcast, a rundown of the latest issues impacting your business from Kelly Drive. Hi, this is Jeff Scurry, one of the producers of the Legal Download. I'm talking today with Mark Conkle, the co-chair of our labor and employment practice. And Mark, there's a lot going on with COVID-19. There's a lot of things that people are worried about. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the issues are that should be top of mind for employers in the midst of this crisis. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, we're living in interesting times, kind of with the curse of living in interesting times. And the basic concerns for employers um, aren't so different from everyone else's. Um, you know, so first, just like at home, you have to keep the workplace healthy. Um, that means practicing good hygiene, requiring notice of travel. You want your employees letting you know when they've traveled. Um, you know, interesting point there is that I think even as, as recently as three weeks ago, you know, things are just evolving so quickly. The message from employers to employees was, let us know if you've been to a hotspot. Well, I mean, at this point, you know, I work in the New York office of the firm. I, I guess that's a hotspot um, or maybe New Rochelle, New York, or, you know, maybe Houston. It's really hard to say. Right. So I think it's important just to have, you know, take us on a case by case basis um, and where folks may have been traveling in a way they're, where they've been exposed uh, to people, um, you know, who either have a virus or, or have been, you know, living or working or traveling through areas um, where there are kind of known higher infection rates. It's very important for an employer to know that. Um, an employer has to be vigilant in, in detecting sick employees um, and, you know, really has to encourage employees to, you know, let the employer know if they feel ill or are or have been exposed to the virus. Now, just as a practical matter, that can be a challenge because what's going to happen where there is some risk of exposure is that an, an employer consistent with CDC guidelines and just kind of general common sense will send that employee home. So in encouraging employees to be candid, I think it's also important if employers are in a financial position to be able to do this, to say, hey, you're going to have some level of pay protection because, you know, particularly for employees who are non-exempt, that is hourly employees who are entitled to overtime, very often, you know, under or really universally under ordinary circumstances, if they're not working, they're not getting paid. So, you know, if psychologically an employee knows the consequence of me being candid with my employer that I have a headache or a sore throat or, you know, a low-grade fever or chest congestion, right, or coughing, if the, if the consequence of that is that I'm not going to have any income, I'm not going to tell my employer. So for the sake of protecting the workforce, employers have to create a situation, usually in the form of some kind of pay protection, um, if someone has to go home, where, where that type of candor um, you know, is even possible. I, I also think it's really important to understand, um, if you're an employer, how federal and state laws have changed. So um, anybody who's following this at all knows uh, that in the past week, uh, there's been a very important federal law that provides for paid sick days um, and certain extensions of, of family medical leave. Um, so, and actually sort of plug for the firm, we have a COVID-19 resource center on our website that's keeping our clients up to date on the latest. And there are a lot of developments there. And so one of these is the law that I just mentioned. It's called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Um, now that one applies to employers with fewer than 500 employees, which frankly is a lot of businesses. Um, but what it does is provides paid sick time um, in the event of a quote unquote public health emergency if the employee is gonna be absent from work because they were diagnosed with COVID-19 
if their attendance could jeopardize the health of other people, or if they're quarantined or caring for somebody who's quarantined, or to care for a child whose school was closed. And all of this is in addition to your existing sick leave policy. Um, and the paid component of it is that after two weeks of fully paid leave, assuming an employee's work for you for 30 days or more, um, the employer has to provide an additional uh, 10 paid weeks um, for certain for certain situations. So it's where somebody's caring for a kid whose school or daycare is closed, um, and that excludes certain types of professions. So healthcare workers, workers in quarantine, workers caring for family in quarantine. Um, so, you know, and the reaction of a lot of employers to that has been, well, do we really care? Because, you know, forget 500, we have 6,000 employees. Um, it's important to know that, for example, in New York State, in other municipalities, um, in other states, legislation is actively being considered or has been passed where those kinds of paid leave requirements extend to all employers, regardless of size or almost regardless of size, so large and small. So, um, you know, again, it, it would be, we, we would have a, you know, eight hour podcast or an 18 hour podcast if I tried to talk about kind of all of those laws, Jeff, but, but in the end, it's important to, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of material out there, a lot of resources available to people, you know, including on our website on how to stay up to date on these laws and it's evolving very rapidly. So I, you know, again, I think that the couple things that employers need to keep in mind are keep the workforce safe. There's lots of guidance on how to do that. Um, be aware of changing legislation because, it, you know, we've gotten sort of mountains of new legislation in literally just the past week. Okay. Well, what are the biggest practical problems that employees are facing right now? Yeah, look, I mean, at a practical level, th there are so many of them. And maybe one good gauge for that is I can just, you know, think back to the calls I've had in the past couple of weeks. And there are a couple of big practical challenges or practical issues that, that keep coming up. So, you know, first and foremost, a lot of employees are simply afraid to come to work. Um, and, and we're talking about, you know, in situations where you don't have stay at home orders like you have in, in New York right now or in California um, or in, you know, a number of other states. Um, you know, I think it's important to remember the vast majority of people haven't been exposed to the virus and aren't symptomatic. Um, at the same time, there is this legitimate kind of generalized fear that if you even leave your house, you're going to get sick if, or could be exposed in a way that risks your own health or the health of, you know, vulnerable family, family member. So what I've been telling companies is, you know, first, make sure you're following all the CDC, the Center for Disease, Disease Control guidance on social distancing um, and workplace hygiene, you know, and, and, and minimize the need to actually have people show up. So some companies, for example, there's a very large investment bank. Um, and many other employers actually are switching to a kind of A team, B team situation where, you know, you're essentially telling half of your workforce, we want you showing up half of the time. And you're telling the other half of the workforce, you know, the B team, I'm not sure I'd want, want to be on the B team. Um, you're showing up the other half of the time. And the whole point of that is to reduce the number of people who physically have to be in the office at the same time. And when you do that, you reduce the risk of transmission, you know, same along the same lines, if you're an essential business, okay, fine, you've got, you know, one of our big clients is a chemical manufacturer that makes stuff where, you know, stuff blows up on contact with air. Well, you can't have people work from home in that type of a manufacturing environment. So you've got to figure out a way to keep that essential business running at a minimum for, for safety reasons, right? But even then, 
you know, minimize employee contact. So in other words, do everything you can to reduce the risk of transmission and protect your workplace. But once you've done that, you're still facing this generalized fear where, okay, we've got a hygienic workplace, we're minimizing employee contact, but people are still afraid to leave the home for reasons, you know, we all obviously emotionally can identify with. Um, so once you've got those protections in place, if you need somebody to show up, you need them to show up. So in that regard, you know, communication, and a lot of this is frankly not the law, it's employee relations, communication is essential. Remind your employees of all the steps you've taken to protect their health and safety. You know, tell them specifically, here's what we've done to protect you and your safety and the health and safety of your family or other people that you may come into contact with. But then say, with those protections in place, here's what we need from you. You know, we need you to work X shift or be present on Y days. If we can't keep this business running, there may be no job to come back to. Now, look, I don't pretend to know exactly how to do that balancing act. You know, it's going to vary from business to business on what's absolutely necessary to keep a business running. But that really, and, and obviously an employer, when it has to make a decision about whether um, to protect employee safety or to take a little bit more risk, um, it needs to be erring on the side of safety. But I think the big picture, and this relates back, Jeff, to your question, what's a practical problem? We're living in a situation right now, just in society in general in this country, where leaving the house is risky. So if we were to reduce all risk to zero, all of American business would shut down. And so I think it's, you know, again, the best way to deal with that practical problem is be thoughtful, um, you know, be intentional about the protective measures that you're putting in place to keep your employees safe. And once you've put those measures in place, tell people what you've done, say we've done everything we can to protect you, and we still have to keep the business running. Um, you know, look, I think a second practical problem is it's, and we're dealing with this, you know, Jeff, you and I both know, in, in, even in our law firm, it's incredibly hard to switch overnight to a work from home arrangement. So lots of employers have mobile workforces, you know, we're set up from that, you know, you and I have both worked in hotel rooms, you know, kind of around the world, you know, at this point, that's one thing. It's a different thing to have 100% of your workforce with, you know, that's accustomed to face to face contact, all working from remote locations, and none of those locations being the same places. So even apart from the technical challenges of doing that, you know, as I say, we're all used to working together physically, and we didn't have any time to think about how this would work, right? So for many of us, one day we were going to an office or a facility, and the next day we weren't. So trying to figure out how to stay connected, um, you know, it's sort of like changing the tires on a moving car. We're building virtual offices as we're trying to use them, as we're trying to, quote, unquote, occupy them. Um, and it's, it's very, very challenging. And it, you know, it's, it's extremely easy to start to feel kind of disconnected from the people that we work with and the teams that, that we rely on to get our jobs done. Sure. And I mean, how do you recommend that, that people can, you know, or companies maintain morale and kind of stay uh, more connected in this in kind of disconnected situation? Yeah. So, you know, look, in, in a way, the, the conditions that we're working under right now are the ultimate form of, of social distancing. It's this enforced social distancing via the workplace. And that is, while it's absolutely necessary from a public health perspective right now, from the perspective of, you know, moving business objectives forward, it's the exact opposite of what makes teams, if, at, you know, effective at work. 
what makes a team effective? Well, you know, I, I would think about what, what makes a leader in general effective, you know, and a leader, by the way, is, is anybody who, you know, is working with anybody else or encouraging them to do something or has to kind of move a project or a task or whatever to completion. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, CEOs, I'm talking about, you know, teams that you might lead at work or even just teams forget leading that you function in at work. Um, you know, a good leader communicates, a good leader is transparent, a good leader tells the truth, a good leader is visible and vocal. And all of those, and I think we know that, right, intuitively, mm. but that becomes so much harder when we're working from a distance, um, you know, when simultaneously it's become much more important to, to you know, exhibit those behaviors, to, to, to do those things than ever before. So, um, you know, I think most of us who work with others just intuitively know that the gold standard of how we should be interacting with, with colleagues um, has become more important, not less important. And, and those standards don't get relaxed as we work from home. In some ways, you know, they become more stringent or more important. So, you know, I, look, I can think about this in, in terms of law firm dynamics. Um, you know, the same ideas apply to the way we work in law firms. So, you know, I'm a partner in a law firm and I'm running a case, let's say. Well, some partners keep all the strategy in their heads and they just ask associates to perform, you know, smaller column constituent tasks. So the associate knows, for example, to draft something or to complete some small but important, you know, task or project, you know, and some partners don't communicate the bigger strategy because they think the associate doesn't really need to know about it, right? All she needs to know, all he needs to know um, is that they have to do the smaller job by a certain deadline and, and that's that. So forget the coronavirus, like that's just a terrible way to manage people. When I take the time to explain overall strategy and to, to explain what, you know, frankly, what I'm, even what I'm unsure about, um, the person who's working with me or for me understands the bigger picture. And I need to do that often, right? So when I get an associate to see that, you know, here's what we're overall trying to do and I'm, and I'm communicating that frequently, I pick up all kinds of advantages that I can't necessarily predict in advance. They know how to spot problematic issues better, um, even in the smaller jobs that they're doing. Um, you know, when it comes to what I do, even at the level of drafting individual sentences, they know to avoid certain formulations or positions in light of a bigger strategy that I've told them about. Um, and, and I think most importantly, they feel by definition that I care enough to share the bigger strategy with them. They emotionally invest in the bigger project, you know, and, and for obvious reasons, they're way more likely to take ownership of the overall project and invest in the overall quality of the work and the outcome of the overall project when they actually know what the overall project um, and, and, and the strategy and the strategy is. So uh, why am I saying all that? Well, because look, I'm used to walking down the hall and talking to my colleagues. I can't do that now. Like none of us working from home can do that now. So in that environment, it's way, way, way too easy to miss those regular touch points because we don't have them anymore. And it's, it's way too easy to become increasingly disconnected and for morale to suffer and ultimately for productivity to fall as we're all kind of left to our own devices, isolated at home. So really leaders and, and all of us who have to interact with others at work have to fight that isolation. We have to, going back to those principles of good leadership, we have to be seen and heard often. You know, I think we have to really kind of embrace, uh, actually, we're doing this call right now on Zoom, right? I think we have to you know, embrace technologies like that 
to, to make sure that our people see us, so to speak, virtually every single day. You know, we, we, we have to look for, um, look really opportunistically for points of contact with, with our colleagues. Um, we have to prioritize one-on-one contact and team meetings and check-ins so we can stay on task and on mission. Um, and, and, and the question I think we have to ask ourselves is not what do my coworkers need to know? Um, meaning, you know, and if it's not mission critical, I'm not going to tell them, but instead really err on the side of almost over information. How can I help my coworkers by, by communicating on what they might like to know and what would help them keep in mind the sense of group mission and cohesion, you know, at the, at the top of their mind. So, you know, I guess the punchline here is that all of the ways that we never had to think about before for staying connected, all of a sudden we have to very intentionally and very consciously create those touch points. Otherwise what ends up happening is group cohesion gets lost, a sense of team mission gets lost, and all of the things that we used to sort of communicate almost by osmosis um, aren't getting communicated at all unless we intentionally create new methods, new routines for ourselves for staying in touch with our coworkers. I think that's some good advice. Mark, are there any other issues or concerns that employers should be focused on beyond COVID-19? It it seems somewhat uh, ridiculous. I think there might be other issues at this point, but there's got to be things beyond COVID-19 that uh, people should be worried about. Yeah, (laughs) right. Right. So we've talked about that, you know, with a lot of clients. So I would, you know, it's a short list, um, you know, beyond COVID-19, employment law concerns are a short list that involve literally everything. Um, So, you know, remember, (laughs) when, when this whole thing is over, all the usual employee relations challenges, all of the usual employment law challenges that, that employers routinely face and that we help employers with every single day, all of those are going to be waiting. And, and in fact, not just waiting, I don't think anybody hit the pause button. Many of them will actually have become exacerbated by the crisis. So, so let me give you a couple of examples. Work from home arrangements are an absolute hotbed of wage and hour law violations. Why? Because particularly where you have employees who are paid by the hour or employees who are entitled to overtime, anytime they're doing something for the benefit of an employer, they're working. So, you're, for example, you know, we send out an email blast to all of our non-exempt employees in the law firm, Jeff, and it says, hey, just check our updates every single day. Well, you know, you can argue that's for their benefit, but the truth is we're communicating in that way because we're trying to get the workplace to cohere, you know, keep our projects moving forward, maintain sort of group situational knowledge and all of that. So at the end of the day, it's for the benefit of the employer. That time is compensable. That time is payable under the, you know, under state and federal wage and hour laws. So what that means is you've got whole workforces out there now, not in the workplace, generating compensable time in a situation where we're also, you know, kind of rightfully, if you will, distracted by the COVID environment, a lot of employers aren't thinking about those wage and hour issues. Well, what that means is when we return to any semblance of normalcy, there's going to be this vast bank, for some employers anyway, of unpaid time, which are just giant wage and hour class actions, you know, waiting to happen. Here's another one. Um, the WARN Act is the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act. It's a federal law. There are lots of state analogs to this that require notice um, in lieu, uh, sorry, notice in advance of a termination, you know, mass layoff or some other mass, you know, termination event. Um, or if you can't provide that notice or don't provide that notice, pay in lieu of the notice under the federal law. It's 60 days uh, worth of pay under state analogs. Very often it's 90 days. 
Um, and so some states, I think only one at this point, California has actually suspended the application of its WARN Act because what, but no other state has done this and the federal law hasn't done this yet. Um, what's, what's happening is, and you know, sadly, I was on a couple calls last week where tens of thousands of workers are losing their jobs and it all was happening in a 24 hour period. Um, and so those are all WARN Act violations, right? Um, now, obviously, under the present circumstances, you're not going to be in a situation where it's practicable to be able to um, provide 60 or 90 days of advance notice when you've got to shut down based on a you know, stay-at-home order in 24 hours. Um, but that's another issue that employers should be spotting. Those are all major class actions. There were major class actions before the COVID crisis, and I suspect there are going to be many more major class actions um, afterwards. There are, and I won't go on forever, but I can think of one more example. Um, you know, under the disability protection laws, so the Americans with Disabilities Act, there are lots of state versions of these, local versions of these. Um, it's unlawful to discriminate against somebody based on a perception that they may be disabled. So the classic example of this is sort of, let's say that somebody, God forbid, at one point had cancer, which is now in remission. And you say, you know what, we're not going to promote this person because we're afraid that, you know, the, the, the cancer may come out of remission, right? That there could be um, you know, it could become active again. Well, at that point, what you're doing is um, you're, you're actually discriminating against that person based on a perception that they may be disabled. So think about COVID, right? People are distancing themselves from one another. A lot of employers, uh, I suspect, are making decisions to treat employees differently based on some perception of a medical condition. Those are all potential disability discrimination lawsuits waiting to occur. So, you know, all of the stuff that's normally going on continues to go on. And I think that's why it's so important to stay on top of the issues by, you know, connecting with your seasoned HR professionals. Um, and if you've got the ability to, to work with them, you know, outside employment law counsel, the current situation is, pun intended, a petri dish for future litigation. So just make sure that you're spotting and addressing the kinds of issues I just mentioned, or what I think employers are going to find is that companies will come out of this crisis intact only to get ensnared in various litigation nightmares. So staying on top of employment issues is sort of like dealing with the virus itself. You know, the earlier on you spot these issues and the more proactively you address them, um, the better on the better your life is going to be, um, you know, later on. Mark, thank you so much. That's been very helpful and very practical. And I think the, the listeners will find it very, uh, very useful. Is there any place else that people can get a hold of you besides the COVID-19 Response Resource Center? Yeah, sure, Jeff. Um, so you know, in addition to that resource center, which is really great um, as, a, as a resource that aggregates a lot of the guidance that's out there. So, you know, State Departments of Labor, Federal Department of Labor, EEOC, um, you know, C CDC guidance and so on. So that's really, I, you know, if it were me, that would be the first place I'd check. But from, from moment to moment, um, there are so many different changes going on just in terms of the news and in terms of new legislative developments. One place that we're posting to really day by day or even hour by hour sometimes um, is, is my group's blog. Um, it's www.laborday'sblog. Com. So that's a great place to to um, check out, as I say, kind of very routine updates. You know, and if you want to get in touch with me or anybody in my group, our names are all over kind of both of those uh, resources, the COVID-19 Resource Center and the blog itself. Um, so I would check those out. All right. Thanks again, Mark. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Sounds good, Jeff. Thank you. For additional information on this and other topics, please visit kellydry.com. Kelly Dry has podcasts available through your podcast provider.